market is focused on art, which is cool. The market doesn't see the full potential of NFTs. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Cowan's Thematic Podcast. I'm Bill Bird, head of thematic content at Cowan, and I'm really excited to be here with David Kroger. David is a digital data scientist and a member of Cowan's digital asset team. Each month, our thematic podcast discusses areas of emerging growth and disruptive innovation, topics that are of pivotal interest to investors and corporate executives. The raw materials for the themes we'll unpack are Cowan's proprietary data sets and Cowan's Ahead of the Curve series, where so much of our thematic work is expressed throughout the year. Today's topic is digital assets. Numerous surveys and our own experience at Cowan point to increased institutional participation in digital assets. At the same time, the government is preparing for action on several fronts. For example, the Biden administration recently signed a March 9th executive order to ensure responsible development of digital assets. These factors support the view that digital assets are more than a passing fad. In today's interview, we discuss some of the core themes surrounding this emerging asset class. But before we dive in, I'd like to provide some background on our guest, David Kroger. David is Vice President and Digital Data Scientist at Cowan Digital, which offers high-touch spot trading in 16 tokens, plus secure and compliant institutional-grade custody. David is a thought leader on digital assets, including blockchain-based protocols, NFTs, and cryptocurrencies. He's known for the breadth of his coverage of cryptocurrency, his knowledge of how the ecosystems work, and his tracking of alternative data to gauge how digital assets are developing. David, welcome, and thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me on. David, for for the benefit of our non-crypto native listeners, How do you begin to evaluate cryptocurrencies? That is a question we've been getting a lot from our clients, both crypto native and traditional funds. For the listeners that aren't familiar with the crypto space, there are metrics called on-chain metrics. These metrics are like the equivalent of fundamentals in equity research. Examples of on-chain metrics are daily transactions on-chain, average fees paid, and number of wallets. We can take these metrics and call the fees accrued on the network revenue and deduct expenses from the network like staking rewards. You can then add a growth rate, project out forward earnings, and apply a multiple to start getting valuations. Now, this is not necessarily a given as there are a lot of assumptions in that base explanation. For example, staking, which is the reward given for those who secure the network in a proof-of-stake model, may not be seen as an expense or that cryptocurrency shouldn't be earning revenue at all, as any excess should be paid out to those securing the network. Which brings me to another way we build the models. Taking in a variety of metrics like on-chain metrics in combination with alternative data like uh, job postings, GitHub development, decentralized scores, app downloads, search trends, and uh, other alternative data sources, we can take all that and use statistical analysis to find variables that are interesting which may differ from coin to coin. After building data models, knowing key performance indicators, and understanding the underlying technology behind the protocol, you have to then understand how it stacks up against other protocols and the key differences. This is another question I get asked often, too. This is outside of trading models like momentum trading to really get to understand the value of a cryptocurrency. Um, You can also apply similar logic to evaluating NFTs, too. David, NFTs, uh, as you mentioned, they're a big part of the digital asset space. Uh, There's been a lot of money made in NFTs and no shortage of controversy. What's your perspective on this asset class and how do you see it developing? 
Yeah, I mean, you're certainly right about there being no shortage of controversy from hacks to monkey images. NFTs have been a hot topic of discussion. I would like to start by defining an NFT as there is a common misconception that NFTs are just profile pictures or digital art. NFTs are non-fungible units of data stored on the blockchain. This means NFTs represent digital assets. I think this distinction is important as right now while the market is focused on art, which is cool, the market doesn't see the full potential of NFTs. For example, there have been a couple of companies making NFTs that represent real estate in a legal and compliant way. The NFT represents the deed of your house, making ownership a lot more liquid and reducing traditional real estate fees paid. The first sale was done actually a couple of months ago in Florida by a business called Proppy, and there are multiple uh, other businesses following the same approach. A different example is using NFTs for tickets. There are a couple of reasons to do this. The first being when NFT ownership is transferred, a fee is paid back to the creator of the NFT. This means that, say, a baseball team could cut, get a cut of all transactions on the secondary market, which could be set to anything but is typically around 5%. The other cool thing is that the baseball team can see who owns their NFTs and then send them another NFT, which could represent a coupon for the next game. And then they would know this person is interested in their game since they already hold the ticket represented by the NFT. This could totally change how businesses market. I suspect that many of them are talking about it as we see big brands like Nike, Gucci, McDonald's explore NFTs. One more example to really drive the point home, and my personal favorite, say you are in the metaverse wearing a VR headset playing cards at a casino. This is done in a compliant way since you've provided personal information like your age and address. Uh, a virtual server asks if you like a drink and you, you say yes. The casino could send you an NFT that represents a free drink by a restaurant near you redeemable through Uber Eats or another transportation service. Then use the NFT, which executes a smart contract, to have the cocktail delivered to your house in real life as you enjoy playing in the metaverse. Lastly, uh, the NFTs of art and profile pictures that exist now, uh, most are not worth anything will head to zero. However, say the top 0.1% are actually doing something really cool with their brands and DAOs. DAOs, for those who don't know, are decentralized autonomous organizations, but you can think of them as LLCs, but instead of having a CEO that makes decisions, decision-making is disseminated across all members. There are all types of DAOs with different focuses. Some focus on NFT collections, building a pool of digital assets, and then those assets get paid out to the members. Others can focus on dating, uh, different, uh, focus on dating and other sectors of science and research like living longer and more. David, let's shift gears and um, move over to decentralized finance. Um, what are some of the recent developments you're seeing there? Are institutional investors interested in this space? We'd love to hear your thoughts. Yes, uh, institutional investors are very interested in the space. When I talk with people and clients unfamiliar with the space, they are shocked to hear that you can earn around 7% APY on stable coins like USDC and at, high, at a high level, the yields are earned through lending the stablecoin to other parties securely through smart contracts. And that's just stablecoins. I mean, the crypto native funds are looking at liquidity pools where you borrow from one exchange at, say, 5% interest rate, and then stake it in a pool that earns 12%, but hedges their downside risk, earning a delta neutral rate. Um, some recent developments in the marketplace have been twofold. The United States has been cracking down on yields being offered to retail investors, I wrote about this one in one of our weeklies, but effectively Celsius, which is a crypto lender, was offering yields up to 19% on different cryptocurrencies. 
but had to stop their product offering under regulatory pressure. We saw a similar thing happen to Coinbase and a platform called BlackFi, who paid $100 million in a settlement to the SEC over these interest accounts. The other thing that I'm seeing are these DeFi dApps or decentralized apps are offering yields that are not sustainable to users to draw them to their network. Some people are viewing this as a marketing expense. However, the problem becomes that the users are chasing yield and are not very sticky. And since the yield is not sustainable, once it is lowered, lots of people take their money and leave to the next dApp offering high yields. So dApps are currently discussing long-term solutions to the problem, like requiring lockup periods. David, there's been a good deal of excitement around Ethereum 2.0. At a basic level, can you talk about what it is and, and why does it matter? Yeah, um, Ethereum for, is the second largest cryptocurrency by market cap and is switching from proof of work to proof of stake. Most cryptocurrencies, excluding Bitcoin, are already proof of stake, which just means um, different ways for the blockchain to come to consensus. Proof of stake has been looked on more favorably as it's supposed to decrease Ethereum's energy intake by 99%. Ethereum 2.0, more recently rebranded, calling itself Consensus Layer, as the terminology of ETH 2.0 caused confusion, leaving people wondering if they need to do something to upgrade, which then resulted in people being exploited by those that took advantage of the lack of knowledge. The upgrade was supposed to come out around this time, but has been pushed back, and I quote, a few months, with most people expecting the upgrade to actually come at the beginning of next year or at the end of this year. The upgrade is focused on three things, sustainability, which I touched on, security, and scalability. But there are a lot of misconceptions around the upgrade that are worth pointing out. For example, I've seen online forums that this upgrade will have will be the solution to the high transaction fees on Ethereum. The upgrade will help, but Layer 2 solutions will still be needed and is not the silver bullet people are anticipating. Vitalik, for example, uh, who is the co-founder of Ethereum, has said so himself that Layer 2 solutions will be needed in the short to medium term, as well as developers from the Ethereum Foundation has also said that as well. And for those that don't know, Layer 2 solutions at a high level just means a solution to help scale an application by processing transactions off Ethereum while keeping the security measures and decentralization. The transactions processed then get rolled back into Ethereum, all of which is done through cryptography. This is going to help um, lower the overall transaction fees, which will help adoption uh, across the long term. David, the, the blockchain trilemma termed by Vitalik, who you just referenced, uh, addresses some of the challenges developers face in creating a blockchain. Could you unpack that a little bit to help us understand uh, what is the trilemma and what, what are the trade-offs and how do you think about it? Yeah, that, that's a perfect segue. Uh, the blockchain trilemma refers to the idea that a cryptocurrency wants to be decentralized, secure, and scalable, but can only choose two of the three. Knowing this uh, is a fundamental to analyzing and understanding cryptocurrencies and the way they run and why they do. Given that security is a top priority, cryptocurrencies face choosing between uh, decentralization or scalability. Of course, many coins claim to have solved this problem, saying they have all three, and some are closer than, than others, but the trend has been to focus on scalability over decentralization. This is because getting users on-chain and engaging in a cryptocurrency's ecosystem is important from both an adoption and an investor standpoint. 
Having people engage in your ecosystem becomes a lot harder if it doesn't scale, resulting in transactions costing tens or hundreds of dollars. This is partly why many people emphasize metrics like transactions per second and the cost per transaction. When you have to charge someone $100 to move $50 worth of assets, it makes no sense and people will go leave for alternative uh, platforms. With With many cryptocurrencies focused on scalability, decentralization has been less focused on. This, of course, goes against the crypto ethos of being decentralized. However, data and discussions show many people do not really care if systems are decentralized as users store their digital assets on centralized exchanges. We also see this with Ethereum as they were, they're an older chain relative to some of the big players now, and they have focused on decentralization over scalability, and which is part of the reason why we see these high gas fees and the move to ETH 2.0 now. David, we, we've been discussing some of the technical factors of, of digital assets and, and some of the challenges, etc. David, if we zoom out to the big picture and really think about where all this is headed, where do you see the digital asset space going in the next five years? Yeah, I mean, if I had a crystal ball, I'd probably be somewhere on a, on a beach uh, sipping a Mai Tai. But in a perfect world, we would like to see regulatory clarification on digital assets. And then around the same time, we'll see more traditional institutions consider either using the technology like smart contract automation, or at least investing it and keeping some of their coins on their balance sheet. In the next five years, user interfaces and technology hurdles will be lowered. Even today, sending assets from a wallet to another wallet can be scary. Because if the wallet address is not correct, you can't try again and there are no do-overs. You just lose your asset. Hopefully, this changes as wallets upgrade to a more comprehensive list of approved and verified wallets, reducing the risk of accidentally losing your money. I also look forward to a cleaner design with more explanations built into the wallet. Right now, you have to trust users on Reddit and YouTube video tutorials to walk you through the more technical steps. I'm also keeping an eye out for really big dApps, or again, decentralized apps. Right now, retail users look at NFTs, some play in DeFi pools, but outside of finance applications, there are not many real reasons for someone to engage on the blockchain yet. Video games on the blockchain could start to bring some people in, but good video games usually require massive budgets and experienced teams, and play-to-earn gaming has only been a focus in the past year or so. Alternatively, I think something like putting a Spotify on the blockchain could be really interesting as everyone enjoys music and artists could get paid more. David, what are some of the challenges you see in, in the crypto space as you think about where the market is headed? So immediately what comes to mind is regulatory risk. And you can break out regulatory risk into a couple of different buckets. The first being the environmental concerns surrounding Bitcoin mining. Um, the solution, I think, is to just educate and teach lawmakers about the crypto mining, the impact crypto mining has, backed by studies and data, uh, would, would be a great first step. Another regulatory risk is a lack of retail knowledge. A fear of mine is that I've, a fear that I have is that something in crypto becomes very popular and ends up losing a lot of people a lot of money. And in kind, regulators point to that case to overregulate the market setting that they are just protecting consumers. There is also the concerns that some lawmakers point out that Bitcoin threatens the financial strength of the U.S. dollar, uh, which is a real concern. And I, the IMF frequently discusses how adoption of Bitcoin in other countries are, are posing a risk to us now. Something in my day-to-day that I face uh, uh, as far as challenges go is inconsistent data. 
when trying to find data on digital assets, there's no fact set or Bloomberg of crypto data yet. There are developing third-party data vendors, but because on-chain metrics often require having a validator on the network, which can be expensive, uh, different types of data is fragmented across different vendors. Additionally, because there are new, the, because there are so many new vendors ent- entering the space, data cleaning standards aren't established, which leads to different data across vendors, even though they both claim to pull from the same data source. David, can you tell us more about Cowan Digital and and the role it plays? Yeah, we are creating the Cowan platform that institutional customers have known from Cowan in equities and fixed income, research, sales, trading, execution banking, VC, cap intro, all the verticals that we service for traditional finance, um, we we offer in the digital side as well. On the execution side, spot trading, low and high touch, uh, and we are currently building out derivatives, borrow lending, uh, shorting, financing, and swaps. We also provide comprehensive coverage on the digital asset space for institutional investors to get involved. Adding in custody with standard custody and fund admin with MG Stover, we can cover an institution's full life cycle for the product. We really aim to be that white glove service clients come for. David, let's shift to something on the lighter side. Uh, Dogecoin, originated as a joke. was wondering if you could talk a little bit about it versus Shiba Inu and, and <laughs> help me understand uh, where this fits in. Yeah, so this, is, this has been a, a coin favorite on the retail side. Uh, and institutions have taken notice. Uh, Dogecoin originally is a joke, as you mentioned, is a copy and paste code of Litecoin, and it's currently Elon's favorite cryptocurrency. It gained popularity as Elon uh, made more jokes and memes about it on Twitter, and the thesis surrounding the coin and partial its massive success is that the thinking was that Elon was because Elon was backing the coin that the right engineers would come in to overhaul the functionality of the coin while keeping the same meme kind of branding uh, and usable and that's loved by the public. However, this ha- this hasn't happened. Uh, Dogecoin still is the same kind of coin that it was years ago that doesn't offer much functionality out of outside of being a joke. Shiba Inu, on the other hand, kind of comes from the same ground as Dogecoin, uh, it came after Dogecoin and played on the same basis that it's got a dog as a as its mascot on the token. But what's what's interesting is that Shiba Inu is actually building out some of the functionality and cool tools in the ecosystem that people had hoped to see from Dogecoin. Shiba Inu has um, a decentralized exchange, which is called the DEX, and has its own inside kind of ecosystem currency called Bone. Um, so it's it's interesting to see how these these coins will play out because they are in, in fact fairly large uh, on Reddit and and both Reddit, Twitter, and by market cap, and um, you know they they memes can really drive momentum into other cryptocurrencies as well. David, your your team does quite a lot in servicing the digital asset theme. As you look ahead, what are some of the events or expert calls that you plan to host uh, in this digital asset space? Yes, uh, love the question. We recently put out a deep dive series on Avalanche and I have planned a discussion with John Rue, president of Ava Labs on May 26th. Ava Labs uh, is the architects behind the Avalanche cryptocurrency. In continuation with our deep dive series, we plan on offering corporate access complementary to the deep dive series on some of the largest 
coins that we continue to plan putting out. We also are hosting many dinners across the country and at crypto events like Permissionless. The dinners cover a variety of things relating to crypto. One dinner that might be of interest to non-crypto native listeners will be on July 12th, where Jarrett Seberg, who's our Washington research analyst, Stephen Glagola, who's our equities crypto mining analyst, and myself will be discussing the space. Lastly, I always offer to teach in, uh, to do teach-ins for our clients, whether it's crypto native funds wanting to explore the technicalities of a protocol to an equity analyst wanting to understand how blockchain works and how it might affect their portfolio holdings. Well, David, as we wrap up today's podcast, this has been incredibly helpful and interesting. And I just want to thank you for for sharing your thoughts and also thank you everyone for taking time out to listen. Uh, Until next time, be well and see you soon.